Good morning and welcome to St. Paul de Pere's Sunday morning Bible study. Uh, my name is Tanner Wade, pastor here at uh, St. Paul's. We'd like to welcome everyone from St. Paul's listening uh, through our website at stpaulsdepere.org and those listening on KFUO AM 850 here in St. Louis and worldwide on KFUO.org. As is our usual practice, we will be looking at the readings for the upcoming Sunday, which uh, will be June 14th, the second Sunday after Pentecost. And so before we begin looking at those readings, let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today in very unusual times. We pray that uh, as you continue to guide our leaders, those in the community, the medical professionals, and certainly us as your people, that you would guide us with wisdom and that all that we would do here in St. Louis and around the world would be to the glory of your holy name. And it is in that name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, to begin with, uh, there's no handout today as I'd normally have if we were doing this in the gym. But uh, I did want to kind of give us a, a brief breakdown of the, the four readings we will be covering. Uh, the first will be Psalm 100, which would normally serve as the psalm of the day. Uh, the second will be the Epistle Lesson, Romans 5, 6 through 15, which will probably be a very familiar lesson to many people. And then the third will be the Gospel Lesson, of, which is the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapters 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. And then finally, if we have time, I say that because I tend to run over, if, uh, if we have time, we will uh, cover the Old Testament reading, which is Exodus 19, verses 2 through 8. And so with that, let's begin. So if we look at Psalm 100 here, uh, the first thing you might notice is, is the title of the psalm or the preface for the psalm. Psalm for giving thanks in the English Standard Version translation. Uh, that word for giving thanks there, toda, is really also a, a word that means to, to give praise. Or this is a psalm, in other words, a psalm uh, for giving praise. And you'll kind of see that as we go through the psalm. It's short. It's only five verses. Um, but it's really a call to worship, a call to praise God and to praise God for specific reasons and to really uh, highlight what uh, what the praise of God not only does, but who he is in that praise. So if we begin looking at Psalm 100, verse 1, it begins with, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And there you can see that highlight, uh, a call, that call to worship, that call to praise, and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Uh, serve the Lord with gladness. And then finally, come into his presence with singing. And as you go through the psalm, uh, there's something I... I at least it was brought to my attention with this psalm that kind of stuck out to me was how closely the echo of this psalm is to the hymn, uh, the well-known hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Of course, the end of the first verse of that hymn uh, ends with, Now to his temple draw near, joining in glad adoration for all those who hear. And so as you can kind of see, the psalm is, is echoing that same sort of sentiment. The make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence, come into his temple with thanksgiving. And now we get to really what you can see as the body uh, of the hymn, or the really the, the meat of what uh, this psalm is getting at. And in verse 3 we read, Know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Now that phrase, know that the Lord, he is God, that's something that occurs a couple times in the Old Testament. Uh, one that came to my mind is this is what Elijah uh, calls out to the Lord, asking that he would uh, make it known that he is God when he was on Mount Carmel uh, with the prophets of Baal. And he has the servants of Israel pour water all around uh, the altar uh, with the sacrifice. And he says, O Lord, God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that, uh, answer me that this people may know you, O Lord, our God. And so that was just, it's an interesting connection between a moment, uh, a very famous moment in the prophet Elijah's life and, of course, this psalm. To know that the Lord, he is God, and that it is he who made us. It establishes that God is the creator, and the creator of what? Well, the next section of this, uh, that verse, that the creator of his people, that we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture, that we are a people that belong to to him. And then we get into verse 4 and we, we see kind of the progression of the, the psalm uh, bringing people into worship by saying the gates of the temple, or enter his gates, I'm sorry, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. See, it's a call to worship when the temple gates would be opened. Uh, and for us, of course, as, as Christians, those who live with the knowledge of uh, what God has done for us in Christ, uh, for us, the temple is uh, the access to God is opened in a very new and living way. And that is through his son and his son's sacrifice on the cross. You look at verse five, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations and it's a great bookend to uh, this psalm because it reminds the people coming in to worship at the, the call uh, to worship that the Lord is good and that no matter what's going on in your life his steadfast love does endure forever and that his faithfulness is to all generations even especially in the this year 2020 we may look out and <laughs> think a lot of things have gone haywire. A lot of things have not gone according to plan. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns in the world. Uh, it's a great reminder, Psalm 100, is to remember that the Lord is good, that his steadfast love does endure truly forever, and that his faithfulness is to us and to all generations, to us today and to all those who have come before us and to all those who will come after us. Now that we kind of can turn our attention to the epistle reading, the epistle reading uh, for the second Sunday after Pentecost is Romans 5, 6 through 15. But before we go into those specific verses, I want to take a little bit of a look at what comes just preceding um, this pericope or these section of verses in Romans. Uh, just before this, in Romans chapter 4, we read that the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the laws who are heir, uh, who, who are to be heirs. For if it is adherents to the law, sorry, 
who are to be heirs, faith is null and a promise is void. For the law brings wrath, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. And that was Romans 4, 13 uh, through 16. And uh, I then want to skip the, the last part of chapter 4 of Romans and go right to the start of Romans 5, because it kind of picks up right where uh, that section ended. In Romans 5, verse 1, uh, we read just before our, our pericope or our set of readings starts for the epistle reading. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I, I highlight those earlier sections of Romans because without them, uh, you don't get a full picture of what Paul is really conveying here in Romans 5, 6 through 15. If you don't understand what he had just been talking about, the necessity and the emphasis that it is through faith that uh, we are brought as heirs to the promises of God, and that through faith um, we have obtained uh, grace, uh, or we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and that we currently rejoice in the hope and glory of God, we don't understand that. We can sometimes fail to realize just how important these next words are. So let's start with uh, Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, that's something that uh, most Christians do do know, that, that they are sinners and that Christ's forgiveness um, that Christ's death and resurrection, that is the basis of their forgiveness of sins. However, it's a pretty powerfully, emotionally powerful point when we really start to think about uh, us in that uh, situation, that while we were still weak, and I will say uh, you can change that word as well to an are, while we are now also still weak, it was at the right time, at Christ's right time, at God's right time, Christ died for the ungodly, when his hour had come. And we read in Romans seven, uh, 5, verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you look at what events have transpired over the last two, three months, even since really the start of the year, and you can see uh, just how much sin truly is still uh, present in this world, lest we ever fool ourselves and think that we've got it all figured out, or that somehow we'll uh, Amazon and, and technologically figure ourselves out so that we can get everything at the snap of a finger and life will be dandy, uh, we, are, we are always reminded, quite quickly usually, just how much sin and how much uh, pain how much suffering, uh, how much guilt there truly is uh, in the world. Uh, 
when the virus started out, it became something that uh, most people had never experienced in their lifetimes, a true pandemic, a true pandemic that sometimes brought out the best in people. And also at the same time, sometimes brought out the absolute worst in people. And then when you look at the events of the last few days and the, and the sad, sad reality that uh, there's far too much violence still in this world, violence against those who cannot protect themselves, violence against those who are not uh, in a position of power, but violence uh, against those who are weak, who are uh, hurting, and the sin that is very, very present still in our own country, uh, in our own communities, in uh, our own lives, if we're to honestly look at it, uh, you can't help but uh, look at this, these verses, those three verses that while we are still weak right now, at the right time, at God's right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, you look out at this week and you wonder, how often have I in my own life woke up remembering that? Woke up, got out of bed in the morning, and before making judgments on others or before uh, declaring I'm in the right and everyone else is in the wrong, whatever the position is, whatever you, wherever you are, how many of us have woke up in the morning and, and remembered that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God shows his love to us. Uh, the pericopes, the, the sets of readings for a particular Sunday usually have a, a theme and, and I sometimes wait till at the end and sometimes get the theme out at the beginning, but I wanted to wait till after we read this verse in Romans because uh, those three verses at the start of the pericope in Romans, because I think those three verses sum up the theme better than anything, that we are completely undeserved of the grace and the goodness of God. And yet, while we were still sinners, God uh, in Christ died for us. And we'll see that... Uh, the compassion that God has, the love God has for his people uh, in the gospel reading as well. But let's continue here with Romans chapter 5, uh, going to verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have, re uh, we have now received reconciliation. And you think about those three verses as a reminder of uh, what the life is that we have been given. What, what it means that, what does it mean that Christ died for us? Well, it means that uh, we have life that is much greater than the enmity we previously had with God, that it is God's action that reconciled us through the death of his son, and it is that life that was given to us through that death and given to us through the faith we have in the promises of God, that we are saved by Christ's life, by his life, his giving up of his life. And more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, there's a lot of talk about 
right now, how are we going to reconcile everything that's going on? How are we going to bring peace and how are we going to bring healing? How are we going to figure it out to go forward to realize the mistakes of the past and be honest about them and work together to be together with one another in community towards a, a better future here, uh, not only locally, but across the country and across the world. And I think one thing Christians can remember is that uh, you, if you're wondering how to reconcile with others, remember first how much God gave up to reconcile himself with you. And it should be a humbling reminder. I know it's certainly a humbling reminder in my own life. You know, when you read those verses, those six verses right there, and the, the height of what God gave up to reconcile uh, his people, those he would love, the whole world, with himself. A world that was sinful, a world that was messy, a world that had hatred and violence and injustice and persecution, and a world that uh, really had no business being redeemed. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And more than that, we rejoice there hasn't been a lot of time to do that in the last few weeks, but perhaps maybe this is a good reminder that we ought to, every day, rejoice. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. To remember that it's God's reconciliation with his people that forms the basis for how we ought to reconcile with others. It's God's reconciliation with you that allows you to look to heal and help your fellow neighbor and one another. And it's not an easy road. After all, what did God have to sacrifice in order to bring that reconciliation? Well, the life of his very son. And there'll be times in our lives where reconciliation's not the easy thing. In fact, usually lashing out's the much easier and more natural response. Uh, when there's a great divide, when there's a great amount of hurt, when there's a great amount of pain, for whatever reason, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our communities, whether it's uh, on a widespread systematic, systematic level, when there's hurt, the easiest response is to lash out in violence. And yet we're, we're, we remember that when we hurt God, he reconciled us with him. And so perhaps as we kind of think about those six verses there, Romans 6, or Romans 5, I'm sorry, 6 through 11, and before we move on to Romans 12, we take a moment to just think about how we can reconcile uh, those divides that we have in our life, whether it's in our families, whether it's in the relationships even within our own home with spouses or with sons or daughters or with parents, uh, with grandparents even, or aunts and uncles, with community, uh, with our county, with our nation, with our state, wherever there is a divide in your life, realize what God has given you to reconcile with him and, and seek that reconciliation to that conflict uh, in those, those scenarios in your own life as well. But let us continue now as we look at uh, the rest of the epistle reading for this second Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, let's go to, it's going, we're going to uh, pick up here at Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like uh, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's, one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, right there at verse 15, that is the technical end um, where this pericope, this section of the epistle reading from Romans chapter 5, uh, stops. But I want to continue for just a moment before we go back through 12 through 15 and uh, read the rest of Romans chapter 5. And I want to do that because this last section, starting at verse 12, Romans 5 verse 12, through the end of Romans chapter 5, really highlights... Um, a pretty stark contrast, and you really can see more of that as you continue reading uh, the rest of the chapter. So we're going to continue with verse 16, and the free gift uh, is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came to uh, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And hopefully uh, you can see with those those ten verses there what Paul is. Uh, highlighting, and that is the difference between the results of one man's actions, that is Adam, the first sin, the fall of man, and of another man's actions, Jesus Christ, the one who brought reconciliation, the one who brought uh, the free gift, as Paul calls it, which I just love in this section. He, he just uses it as a, uh, almost like a noun, that it is the free gift, not that free describes a gift, but this is the free gift. Um, and that free gift is not like the trespass. Though the trespass that Adam, the first sin that Adam committed, that brought sin, uh, sin to many, it's contrasted by that free gift. That free gift, which is the grace of God, uh, and that free gift by the grace that through one man, uh, Jesus Christ abounded for many. That is, he was sufficient. He increased for many. And, and why I highlighted that contrast that uh, is present here is because you can see that, that the pattern that Paul brings out as the pattern of following Adam is a pattern that leads to death, that through one man sin entered into the world and all, uh, all have sinned. And as Paul would say earlier in Romans, the wages of sin is death. 
So Adam is that pattern of death, whereas Christ, Jesus Christ, that one man who brought the free gift, Christ is the pattern of death leading instead to nothingness, but death leading to life. That Christ presents a new pattern for humanity. That though you die, yet shall you live. Uh, and so you really kind of see the contrast highlighted in the fullness of Romans chapter 5. Uh, and that contrast between the death that does and the sin that does uh, hang over everyone's lives, our day-to-day -day existence. But then also for Christians, the grace and, and the freedom and the peace that we have with God, knowing that new pattern, that pattern of death leading to eternal, everlasting life. There is a true uh, universal effectiveness of sin, and that's what Paul highlights in, in verse 12, that uh, because uh, sin has entered the world through the one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because, and it's really in the Greek more of like, for this absolute reason, because all sinned. But then, so too, there's the uh, total uh, universality of it, the effectiveness of what Christ has done, that the reconciliation to God is, in fact, more, uh, uh, more powerful, more widespread, more universal, more for all people than that first sin from Adam was. And this sort of highlights really um, what Paul sometimes uh, the theology of Paul that can sometimes be referred to as the now, not yet. That is truly a now that you are saved in faith through Christ. That's what uh, John talks about in the end of first or at the start of first John chapter three, that God calls us as children and therefore so we are. But also we too now are still sinners and what we will be has not yet appeared. That is seen here in, in Romans five, that it is, uh, very much the reality that we are truly that old Adam, that old pattern that still sins, that still has that pattern that will lead to death. But so too, we are uh, through faith in that pattern of Christ, uh, that pattern where death does not mean the end of all things, but the pattern of death leading to eternal life. And now we look to continue looking at the third reading, which is the gospel reading, which occurs uh, spread out over two chapters in the gospel of Matthew, uh, starting at uh, chapter 9, verse 35, and going through uh, chapter 10, verse 8. And I'm just going to read this first, and then we'll kind of go back through it uh, verse by verse. So Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every great affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of, harvest, of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, 
and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, and now give without pay. And so, as we look at uh, 9 verse 35, uh, we start with Jesus going about. He keeps on kind of going about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing every disease and affliction. And this is kind of just a, a composite statement on what Jesus was, was doing. This is something that um, he did. He was going about, uh, and, and he went teaching them uh, the good news of the kingdom. And then he came across crowds in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And here's something that's really interesting about verse 36 is when we consider why he had compassion, the ESV, the English translation has, they were harassed and helpless. And while that, that, that does kind of work with the Greek, uh, the actual literal uh, Greek words there for harassed and helpless per, paint perhaps an even more vivid picture um, and probably a more vivid picture of our own lives to describe our own state uh, as well as, as sinners as we just covered in, in Romans 5 and this is why this theme of God coming to a people who were without hope who were broken by sin and all of whom uh, did not deserve to become heirs of the promise and yet his compassion and his love gave great sacrifice uh, that theme is very prevalent, as we saw in Romans 5, but right here, because those words harassed and helpless in the Greek, it really is more easily, woodenly, kind of literally translated as they were being flayed, um, and it, like whipped. You know, the, a lot of times those whips had a, a metal um, component to them that would dig into the skin and, and cause great uh, chunks of skin to come out when you were whipped. Uh, so flayed and thrown about. And if you think about how often perhaps <laughs> the sin of our own lives causes us to feel those two, that those two, uh, words, the, how often we feel whipped by the sin of our own life, perhaps the sin we feel in the world, um, that w the hurt that it causes the literal physical hurt sometimes, but also the emotional hurt, the, the relational hurt, um, the emotional hurt, uh, and then how often sin can totally throw us throw us off. I think most of us at the start of March, if we were to say that uh, we'd be very familiar with what six feet of distance was and how, uh, how to properly uh, attach a mask to our face, we probably would have laughed at that and th thought that was, that was kind of a, an extreme prediction for what would come in the next two months. And yet here we are. Um, I guess just three months, three months later from the start of March. And that's exactly what we've been dealing with for the past uh, several months. Uh, we so often have been thrown off by uh, the sin that we experience. And sometimes uh, it's both, we both feel beaten down and thrown for uh, kind of a loop by that sin. And then when we look at our own lives 
and how often that perhaps pain is self-inflicted, how often that pain from sin is uh, almost seems unescapable, that we can't quite shake it. But then remember what Jesus' reaction was when he saw these people, when he saw the crowds, these crowds who uh, were whipped and who were thrown off. Uh, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then Christ takes action, just as he took action in Romans 5, uh, by giving us the free gift of eternal life through his death, reconciling us with God. In Matthew chapter 9, he takes action because he looks to his disciples and says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that uh, and then we go right into verse 10, and this is why these two are connected. Uh, of course, originally the Gospels had no verse or chapter markers, so sometimes you come across a section like this and someone may wonder, well, why are we reading from two chapters? Well, because these are the start of verse 10 uh, is very, very connected to that end of chapter 9 that we just read. And so uh, we start at verse 10, verse 1, uh, reading, And he called to him, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and of every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. And then of course there's the list of names uh, here. It's an important point that sometimes uh, we can easily just gloss over that Christ seeing the crowds, having compassion, seeing these people who are beaten enthroned by the sin of their lives, who were wandering, lost like a sheep without a shepherd, he then calls his disciples. He doesn't just snap his fingers and fix it all, but he calls his disciples and specifically gives them authority to go out and to cast out demons, to heal every disease, heal every affliction. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then we hear, read the list of names that it was first Simon, who was called Peter, and then Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, uh, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then we get to his sending out. And this is, of course, why uh, they are called apostles in Greek, the word for send out, that verb is apostello, which is where we get the ones who were sent out being called apostles from apostello. Uh, and we read in verse 5, the tweet, the, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here's where it's kind of important to... Uh, Remember that in one sense, uh, what we read of here in chapter 10 is uh, a rather unique ministry. It's a unique call to these 12 apostles to go nowhere near the Gentiles, no town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is their call in that moment, this specific time. Uh, and what they were told to say was, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Uh, you received without pain, give without pay. And what's key there is understanding that um, there is still very much application in our lives, but we aren't necessarily given that unique and specific call that we read of in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 5 through 8. Uh, we aren't sent in the same way that the apostles were sent, but rather, uh, and this is where the Old Testament lesson actually provides uh, a great reminder because in the Old Testament lesson, which we'll actually get to here in just a moment, uh, Exodus 19, we read that uh, if you follow the Lord, you will be uh, a holy uh, kingdom. You will be a nation of priests. You will be God's treasured uh, possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nations. And really, that's where uh, you look at these 12 apostles, and these, this, these are the 12 tribes of the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, God's new covenant with humanity. And while uh, we aren't given their specific uh, instructions in this sending out, in this apostello, when Jesus sent these specific 12 men, the nation as a whole, the children of God as a whole, the people of God as a whole, uh, is a priesthood. And now you may be wondering, well, what does that mean? What does that mean if a, a you know a Christian is, uh, if the whole of uh, Christianity is in in one sense a, a priesthood? Well, there, there's a couple things. The first is uh, what Luther would often describe as the the priesthood of all believers. That is, uh, in, in one respect, we all are given that instruction to uh, witness, and we are all given that instruction to uh, forgive those who sin against us. Uh, to reconcile ourselves with those who, who sin against us and to those we sin uh, against. But then there's also another, uh, another aspect of, especially the Lutheran faith that I absolutely love, which is the doctrine of vocation. That there's not a hierarchy of, of uh, vocations, that I, as a pastor, am not somehow um, better than anyone else who has uh, a, a different job. I'm no better in my vocation than say uh, a teacher is in theirs and a teacher is no better than say a banker in his vocation that in our each individual unique vocations that is not only the jobs we have but also those responsibilities uh, in our homes the responsibilities in in our community and in the lives of those we come across we are called uh, to live out our lives as christians as uh, a holy people as one who are or as those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. So uh, in one sense, you can say, well, yes, it, it, you're not sent in that instruction right there. That instruction in, in Matthew 10 verses 5, that is not necessarily to you specifically. Those are to the 12 specific disciples. Uh, that's one of the reasons <laughs> they're listed by name, because they are specifically given these instructions in this moment. But in another sense, you are still very much sent. You are sent by God into a wide variety of avenues of life. And in each one of those avenues, you are uh, called to uh, witness to those you come across, to show that compassion that Jesus had for the crowds, to show that love that God had for you, as we read in, in Romans 5, that uh, 
while we were still sinners. That's how God showed his love to us, that Christ died for us. And so it's just something to consider as we think about uh, Matthew uh, 9 here in, in chapter 10, that as one redeemed by God, we too have been the recipients of that compassion, that pity, that love and sacrifice that Christ had for those who were whipped and flayed and thrown off by their own, uh, the stench of their own sin and the stench and the, and the wickedness of the sin in the world that we experience uh, on a daily, hourly uh, basis. And yet, in the midst of that, because we are redeemed, reconciled to God through Christ's blood, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, uh, in a very real sense, though we may not be those 12 men who whom he sent in this particular gospel reading, we are very much sent uh, into those vocations we have in our lives, sent as fathers or as mothers, as brothers or sisters uh, in our particular work vocations, uh, whether that's at home or at, at an office, whether that's outdoors or indoors, uh, blue-collar work, white-collar work, there is no better than or less than in what you're called to do. Rather, God calls you to do uh, the best job you faithfully can do as a Christian in that vocation, and so too to witness um, and be a living example of that sacrifice, that love and compassion that God first showed to you. And that's really uh, one of the great reminders that all these lessons have for us as we look at these lessons for the second Sunday after Pentecost. Um, and that it's a very good segue into the last lesson, the fourth lesson. Uh, so we covered Psalm 100, we covered Romans 5, 6 through 15, and Matthew 9, 35 um, through Matthew 10, verse 8. And now we transition uh, to look at the Old Testament reading, Exodus 19, verses 2 through 8. So let's begin reading, starting at uh, verse 2 here of Exodus 19. They set out from the Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness, there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses repeated the words of the people to the Lord. Of course, uh, the irony there in that last bit that strikes out right away is how often God's people do not do uh, what he has commanded, and yet how quickly the people seem to answer back, oh, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, uh, but let's go to verse 12, or verse 2, sorry, before we get too uh, out of order. So they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness and encamped before uh, the mountain. And so here they go out, uh, out of the wilderness into Sinai. This is right before Moses is about to head out to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Um, so first, uh, he goes up the mountain and uh, 
the Lord calls to him out of that mountain, saying, Thus you need to say this to the house of Jacob to tell the people of Israel. And here we have in verse 4 kind of the meat of this passage. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians on how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now that idiom, eagles' wings, is of course fairly well known. Uh, there's uh, that well, the well-known hymn, you know, he will raise you up on, e I won't sing it, but on eagles' wings. Uh, and really that idiom is just an indic is indicative uh, of a quick, a swift, uh, a, a immediate salvation that you're brought out of trouble you have been you're you're in a precarious situation and boom you're saved and of course the the situation that god is referring to is not only the slavery uh, of the israelites in egypt but then once they uh, left slavery and were traveling and and the is egyptians chased after them uh, how god protected his people at the red sea uh, splitting the waters and uh, allowing them to pass on dry ground and then shutting the 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 waters back on the Egyptians and so he God reminds them right away um, and of course this kind of echoes what we see in the Ten Commandments in verse twenty where God starts by saying I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of G Egypt out of the house of slavery here we start with God saying you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And we get to verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, that, that reminds me again, right, of that hymn, uh, Church of God, Electing Glorious, that uh, we are a holy nation, a chosen people. We are God's people. We're not just, you know, random people, but rather God is very purposeful. He's intent on uh, calling you to him. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that goes back to what I already kind of spoke about with the gospel lesson that, that uh, in Christ, we are grafted in. Of course, we read at the start of Romans that Christ died first for the Jews uh, and then for the Gentiles, and as the ma majority of us, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for the majority of us, we are Gentiles, non-ethnically uh, Israelite peoples. Uh, we are grafted in to this covenant that we shall be, through Christ, through his reconciliation, um, his reconciling of us to God, we shall be that holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and that in our own vocations we go out and we act uh in those places, in those environments, in that community to which God desires for us to be. Uh, and then God says to Moses, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So pretty straightforward. Moses goes back and calls to the elders of the people. And uh, what the, the words the Lord had commanded him and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses repeated, reported the words of the people back to the Lord. It's interesting because, again, this highlights our own sin and God's forgiveness. God knew what was going to happen just a few, uh, few moments later when Moses would receive the Ten Commandments and while up on Mount Sinai, the people <laughs> would turn to idolatry. Even after he had reminded them of his quick, his swift salvation, you know, how he saved them out on eagles' wings, lifting them out of their trouble. Uh, that he was the one who brought them out of Egypt and the house of slavery, uh, they would 
and and they openly and bold facedly I mean lie and say we we will do all that you have commanded God uh, we will do all that you have spoken and of course that's how how often is that true in our own life we we easily make that confession that we will we will walk in accordance with God's will with his word um, after all we pray every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer thy will be done and hopefully that's a prayer we say uh, every day that truly thy will be done Lord in my life and yet we go out and so often it quickly becomes well yeah but thy will really should take a back seat to my will and and so in these four lessons you have a, a couple things I just want to highlight as we wrap up first in Psalm 100 that call to worship that we are called um, as God's people to come and worship him, to praise his name, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, and that that joyful noise is, uh, is to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing, to know he is God, that it is him who made us and that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And how do we know that? Well, Although we have no business being the sheep of his pasture, we look at Romans 5, and, and although uh, sin has come to all men and death to all men because all men have sinned, how do we know God's love for us? Well, that though we are sinners, Christ died for us, and Christ's death on, on the cross is what gives us that reconciliation to God. It's what gives us that ability to be called the children of God. And we read uh, about that love in, in the gospel lesson where Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees, sees them hurting. He sees them flayed and thrown by, by their own sinful ways, by the sin that is uh, happening in their lives, happening to them, but also that they are doing. And he has compassion on them and he sends his disciples to them. And of course, he eventually sends his disciples uh, in the Great Commission, something that uh, this Sunday we will read as the gospel lesson for those who follow the Perkable system uh, to go and make disciples to all nations. So in that specific moment in Matthew 9 and 10, he's calling them to go make disciples to heal those who are in the uh, nation of Israel. But then soon it will be to go and make disciples of all nations. And finally, we read in Exodus that what does it mean to be a part of this this kingdom? What does it mean to be a part of this people? But it's that we are a set-apart people, that we are special and chosen to God, that we are a kingdom of priests, and that in our daily lives we are to uh, follow all that he has commanded us to do, follow his ways, and, uh, and follow the covenant he made with us in Christ, that sacrifice he made for us in Christ. And I think especially this week as we look out, and quite frankly, we see a lot of hurt. We see a lot of pain. We see a lot of frustration. We see a lot of things going on that we probably haven't seen in quite a while or maybe not to the degree we've seen. And we wonder, what are we to do next as Christians? What are we to do? How are we to respond? And I think the simple answer is look at how God loved us. Look at how God loved all people. Remember that all people are truly loved by God, that Christ died for all. And that uh, we are called as those who have been shown that love of God to uh, first, uh, to love them. Uh, again, First John says, you know, we love because he, God, first loved us. And as we read in Romans, that love was the sacrifice of his son, even as we were still 
sinners. So uh, that wraps up the lessons for this uh, upcoming Sunday, the second Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, But before we uh, leave today, let's just end on a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Jesus, we, we come to you today humble. Humble because we don't have all the answers. Humble because there are times we have acted in great sin and there are times that we have acted in great fear. There are times that we don't always allow thy will to be done, but often put our own wills ahead of your own. But we know that while we were still sinners, that you in Christ, you died for us, that you redeemed us from our sins, that you reconciled us with God, though we have no business deserving such a free and amazing gift. We pray that you'd allow that gift to be at the forefront of our minds, to lead how we think about others, to lead us to seek uh, peace, to seek calmness, to speak and to speak those words of grace and mercy to all those we'd come across. Uh, we pray that you would guide and keep us safe as we go about uh, our lives this week, and that all we would do would be to the glory of your holy name. And it is in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.